Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Jeff McFederich is an artist and designer based in Los Angeles, California. Born in Canada, Jeff studied at the Alberta College of Art and got his MFA from CalArts. For two years, Jeff was an art director for the acclaimed underground Beastie Boys magazine, Grand Royal. Since then, he's started the design studio, Champion Graphics, which has produced projects for numerous clients ranging from Nike, Pepsi, Stussy, Burton Snowboards, Girl Skateboards, and Patagonia. Jeff has made videos for Played, Simeon, the Erland Oi-fronted band of Whitest Boy Alive, and film title sequences for The Virgin Suicides and Adaptation. In 2013, Jeff designed all the interface graphics for the feature film Her, directed by Spike Jones. All along, Jeff maintained a non-stop drawing practice and makes paintings as well. He's had solo shows at V1 Gallery in Copenhagen, Joshua Liner Gallery in New York, Cooper Cole in Toronto, New Image Art in LA, amongst many others. I met up with Jeff at the site of his solo show, The Beringians, at Half Gallery, and we talked about his formative days in Canada, skateboarding, computers, punk rock, working across disciplines, electronic music, and much more. Here's our conversation. So, it's good to finally talk. Yeah. In person. Yes. <laughs> nice. And so, record it. Right. So, you're opening here last night. At Half Gallery, mm-hmm. and you, it was in the works for how long? When did you first start talking about doing it? I talked to Bill, I probably this summer I started to talk to him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a show with Joel Messler at his new yeah. gallery out in the Hamptons. Right. So. How was that? Super fun. Yeah. We, yeah. That was. That was in nice weather. It was Memorial Day weekend. Sure. No, Labor Day weekend. I Painfully don't know those. <laughs> I don't never either. get the dates of those. Holidays. I'm just filling in a blank holiday. President's right. Day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the a, summer. Yeah. It was the yeah. It's the big. It's the big summer holiday. Did you and think of, when you were showing out there? Did you think about the location when you were making that work? Um, because this one's specific to the quote unquote the West, right? Yeah. The idea of out y- west. Yeah. No, I didn't really. I mean, it was. It was sort of work developed. I did a booth for V1, mm-hmm. um, and it was sort of like that work that led into, like I very purposely, because I rarely do that, like have two shows that are sort of connected, but I sort of use it as an opportunity because they were really back-to-back. Yeah. So I made the work sort of like bleed. Transition. Yeah, transition. So it was like I could warm up. It's funny, I don't do that much either, but I did that between the last show I had in Japan and the show that just closed here. Oh, how'd it go? It was good. Yeah, I think it was good. For some reason, I think having the show in Japan and then in New York, it's such a distance that it felt good to tie together the same idea, but just mutated. Do you know what I mean? yeah. Whereas if it were closer shows and and location, I feel like it might not work as well. Right, yeah. But the thing I wanted to ask you too is you're doing... Like, I know you have an incredibly dedicated drawing practice, like you're drawing a lot and you're, yeah. you're doing a lot of different things. So with specifically with the paintings, are you doing p- 
paintings all the time? Are you working? Are you kind of goal driven? You know, like, okay, I have a show here. Yeah. I'm making a new body of work for this. And that's what fuels it. Or are you just kind of moving the whole time? Well, I'm definitely goal driven. Mm -hmm. Like, and, but then that even, that practice sort of is getting muddied by once you start to have more shows, like I'm having more shows or doing more paintings that are, you know, you start to have like, instead of it being just paintings for a show, there'll be, oh, and there's a fair or this painting that I'm doing for a project or, so it starts to feel less so. It starts to become, I feel like I'm painting all the time. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely project driven. And when I do work, I'll do work for the show. And that still is the case. Right. Like I, and, but then I experiment with it, like for this show, you know, this is very basic, but I did a painting, um, before I even sort of committed to the show, mm -hmm. but no, and hung it in my painting studio and just had it there. So there was a painting that the, sh the show could sort of grow around as opposed to like propagating my studio with paintings right. over a period of time. It was kind um, of like the keystone yeah. of all the new work. Yeah. Now, did you come, do you come up with the idea, like if a show is kind of conceptually anchored around an idea, does that idea come out of the working process usually, or do you just kind of come up with something? Yeah, it comes out of, I like the, it's unlike a project where you start with a concept and sort of elaborate on that concept. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like, the drawing is just about elaborating right. and gathering from all different places in my creative sort of program. Yeah. And so I like I like to have the theme kind of grow out of the actual drawings. And in that way, I want to feel like I can make whatever I want in the show that they're not prescribed to a sort of theme or like an overarching concept. But yeah. I have such a narrow view, <laughs> sort right. of narrow interests that they end up being the theme sort of like... It comes or out mandated the from the work. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, so, it seems like so much of your process of the way you work is kind of like an underlying idea, usually, well, not all the time, but relating to the figure mm -hmm. or to, you know, interactions between bodies. Or, and then there's the kind of, it seems like the generative approach to things that, it, even if it's not happening and you plan it all out, it seems like you're um, kind of discovering things in the process formally of making something that creates the content as well you know what I mean yeah and that is the you know why you know that's the the purpose of the paintings is to actually move away from ideas mm -hmm. that in so much of my work it's sort of like have there's like these I don't even like to say it but there's ideas in the work but in reality what what is most rewarding for me is when the work sort of goes beyond ideas like it's the opposite of ideas and from and that is maybe some sort of experience or an emotional response from the work mm -hmm. and so you know I'll do a hundred drawings and one of the or like five of those could become paintings and that's for me seeing in them that maybe they started with like a thought and they're a like it's a it's something formally expressing some thought I had but I can see like oh if I kind of put this through the vice of creating a painting from it, that other thing will happen, which is when you're actually confronted with the image, that it's more of like an emotional response that rather than it's sort of like a singular thing, a singular idea, which is present in so much of my work. Yeah. 
Um, but of a lot of it, I would imagine a lot of that process is intuitive as well, right? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to choose work that is much, you know, it's very controlled, mm-hmm. the process, but I'm trying to have like unusual outcomes, surprising yeah. outcomes. And so I get hints at the work because I know the work so well because it's this very well-trodden sort of territory of subject matter. But I can see where, oh, this is kind of leading into the unknown, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, the one thing I thought of, too, when I came into this space and saw the paintings is I was curious about people who aren't familiar with your work, you know, and how they see the paintings because the paintings feel, and I say that as a fellow person who sometimes uses tape or the paint isn't, super loosey-goosey you know yeah like it feels like there's this control control going on yeah you know and but i know in your drawings it's so it just seems like drawings flow out of you yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. which is yeah. a real kind of yeah you know it's not um i don't know it's not so tight it's no. real loose and things are just happening yeah. Yeah. But it's funny because that's often the misconception is like if you paint a certain way then everything is hyper tight and yeah. constricted. Yeah, yeah. But your work, I think, is really kind of, it, it just feels like it's just flowing. Yeah. No, that's what I, I mean, I think it would be interesting for people to see the process that there's so much high wire sort of sketchiness. Mm-hmm. You know, my assistant the other day was just like, like he gets frustrated because I'll like stack paintings on each other or lay like put a coffee cup on them and mm-hmm. and he's like frustrated like look you got to treat these with more respect right. <laughs> you know <laughs> but i'm so used to it because i'm so so much of the uh, meticulous process is about courting disaster mm-hmm. you know that it's actually like sketchy you know that i'm doing i'm cutting on the canvases yeah i'm doing stuff that like i have one take and if i if it's you know I'll, and i'll have one take 10 times in a row Right. Any one of those could fail or things could, you know, there's a, there's all these things that are um, when you're striving for that sort of perfection. Mm-hmm. And then also working quickly, there's not, um, you know, there's a lot of relying on memory for colors or mixing color from a sort of like chance operations. And, you know, it, there's a still experimentation going on. Yeah. But. People don't realize that, too. It's funny because yeah. I'm thinking about laying tape down and cutting through tape with an X-Acto blade. I think the only time you ever get that question about that is from other artists yeah, who yeah. don't use tape. And they're like, oh, do you are you like cutting the canvas? How do you not cut yeah. through the canvas? And yeah. you explain, well, there's a certain pressure that you understand this is going to cut the tape and yeah. not cut the canvas or I'm, yeah or and yeah exactly and working super blind actually mm-hmm. like masking is about not seeing what you're working on right and uh, you know that it is a it's um it's like a draw like so much i feel like i'm drawing like if you were to draw with your hand under the table right you know and um you know there's stuff that i wonder like as i grow older like if i'm not gonna be able to do this like i'll do something where i'll like I'll like cut a shape and I'll connect like where I start the cut and end mm-hmm. the cut and so that cut means that means I'm connecting for the width of a Olfa knife right and it, you can I'm like and I do it over and over and over all day and I wonder like when does that when do I end up like oh 
I'm a centimeter off, you know, like sooner than we think. Yeah. Like you get Charles Schultz with it and it's all, it's like now it's wobbly, you know? Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many things um, in this process of cleanliness that is like, um, but that's what I love. I love that it's, if it was just clean, if, if it was a clean process to make a clean product, it wouldn't be interesting to me. Right. You know, I think that it's really interesting that I can be, within this like i've created this very restrictive way of working but within that process there's i have tons of freedom to dramatically change the outcome or to discover things or to change things as i see sort of the work develop i can change it as i go Mm -hmm. sort of quickly i have a lot of control i guess in a way that's sort of like a computer you know where i'm used to working with the computer and i have that it's like a very (laughs) It's like a very slow version of like that sort of control. Yeah. Um, and just like you can make a mess very quickly on with a computer, you can sort of in within a very um, when you are restricted with the amount of sort of tools you're mm-hmm. using, you, you can sort of still create like a total disaster. Yeah. Were you always kind of ordered like that or interested in that? Even like as a kid, were you kind of when you were drawing, were you a little more? inside the lines or no when did did you start yeah did you start as a young kid drawing yeah drawing I mean I was drawing like I was definitely the kid like I have distinct memories of being like I was I was living in the first place I lived so I can date it sort Mm -hmm. of so it was before I was in second grade and I all I sort of wanted to do was draw so kids would come over and they'd be like what do you want to do and I'd say let's draw which means like let's play right and I remember my memory of it is that sometimes they'd be look at you like, what? <laughs> that's boring. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like, or just not understanding. Yeah. Like, that's like, let's do homework right. to them, you know? <laughs> but so it was like, you know, definitely drawing was, but that, but that story is to reinforce that I wasn't drawing. Like, I wasn't good at drawing. I would just tell, you know, I'd play. Drawing was play. Right. So drawing was drawing my own toys drawing a movie I saw so I redrew um, scenes from it Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it looked like the movie it means there was a little guy walking through a space station but it's just super terrible looking but it was like a narrative Mm -hmm. so it was more like um, like a diagram like instead of G.I. Joe's if you drew the guys or something you know and I think that does relate to my understanding of drawing so I was always like a the, the the kid who drew, and then I became the guy in our group of friends who like if you wanted to make a zine, like I'll do the cover, and then I'll do the layouts, and then I'll, you know, like oh you have a band, I'll do your T-shirt. So right. it was sort of like there's a straight line from that that doesn't come from being like the best drawer mm-hmm. in in the class. Like I didn't like get the highest grades and art class or anything you know but um you were always up for it I was up for it I had liked it the most you know like I would yeah I would draw the mural at my elementary school because I was like I wanted to be up on the scaffold Mm -hmm. you know and and this did you go to school in Canada were you yeah I grew up in uh St. Albert Alberta which is north of Edmonton Mm -hmm. when I was very young and then uh lived in Calgary uh Alberta so western Canada yeah 
pretty far west, right? Yeah, like so above Montana. Yeah. It's oil country, base of the Rocky Mountains. Cold. Cold. No. It's, not bad. What? Cold? It's not cold. <laughs> no snow? I say Canada, you think cold? I think yeah, hockey. Cold. Is what I... But sunny. Cold yeah. and sunny. Cold and sunny is nice. Yeah. Like, yeah, New York would have that, those clear days. Yeah. And then you walk outside and you're like, I need my giant puffy jacket. Right. Do you know if there's a word in, um, in Icelandic, I believe, that is an expression for it's really beautiful out, but it's freezing, but I can't tell because I'm inside? No way. Yes. I think, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, there's a, there's a term for that <laughs> specific thing, but it that's sounds, a good one. That sounds it's exactly useful. like what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it looks wonderful, but it's freezing out there. Yeah. Outside. I think that's important. Like Calgary, it's like you're in, like for me, like growing up in, a, in the suburbs. So you're in a house that could be anywhere. And then outside it's sunny, but it's like minus 30 Celsius, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what is that combo? You know? Yeah. Yeah, you cannot go out. It's not. Like, you you will die. Did you have those where it's just like you you just couldn't go outside? Oh, yeah. Days where you're in. Yeah. Did they cancel school for that? No, never. That's like a thing where, like, weather's not cold. Like, if you can't. We never had school canceled. You just dealt with it? No. Yeah. I remember I went and saw Nirvana in a blizzard. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Outdoor gig? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ever tried to play guitar sick. outside in the cold? Oh, yeah. I mean, because, yeah, you would have festivals in Canada. Imagine yeah. the bands that came to play. Oh, like, Social Distortion comes and they're like, I don't, we don't know. Our fingers aren't moving. That's brutal. Yeah. Well, at least they're playing bar chords. Imagine if True. it was like a jazz guy. <laughs> <laughs> like West Montgomery. Yeah. Just that, like, dung, 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 <laughs> one note. <laughs> that would be very difficult. Well, I guess that's a good segue to, um, did you play music when you were young? Um, or were a little you just bit. The... I was in bands, but I was not musical. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like, well, if I'm going to do t-shirts for bands, like, can I have a band and then make t-shirts for myself? Right, right. <laughs> it definitely felt like that was my musical. Of, but yeah, and it was a time when I think everybody sort of had bands. Yeah. So it was like the extracurricular thing to do, right? If yeah. you were kind of any to some extent counterculture, yeah, you just didn't want to do sports, <laughs> yeah, you'd play in a band like you skateboarded and had a punk oh, band, oh, yeah, skating. So it's like skateboarding in a punk band, you sort of had both, like, um, and then you sometimes then you would sort of choose, like, well, I'd rather wear Doc Martens than Airwalks, right? So I'm just going to stop skateboarding and just yeah. be like smoke and play in a band. But, th- but I mean, it's cool. Like it was a, it was a great culture. I definitely was around people who had really good bands. Yeah. I feel like, you know, well, I feel like we're probably grew up in a similar time frame, Correct. I, I'm, you know, yeah, I grew up, you know, I mean, in, you, you were, was it kind of like starting off with minor threat and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. Moving into public enemy. and Yeah. Like the first punk show I, was, I saw was DOA. Yeah. Which was a Canadian version yeah, of sort of, you know, I don't know what they were like. A, I don't know what the parallel would be in the, like, but it's like hardcore. Yeah. Circle jerks, you know. That made me Black think flag. of DRI. Remember them? Yeah. DRI. I saw DRI, you know, GBH. Yeah. Those bands would come. That's, you know, it was, and I think it's like every like people my age like you grow up grow up and you have this shared history like your history where you grew up or friends of mine now living in california and you share this history like we were sort of wearing the same clothes and listening it's a strange um uh it's like a connecting thread through yes very consistent yeah well now it must just be 
YouTube or Spotify that connects everything or you know what I mean? Yeah, like you're actually listening to the same MP3, right. like literally the same MP3 yeah. at the same time. We were all just listening. Yeah, we, we were, were going to the same basement shows. Like yes, the same bands yeah. were playing. Yeah, and then some people had a tighter, like a closer connection. Yeah, you know, to yeah. The I mean, culture. we were close to DC, and that seemed to be a yeah. huge kind of you know hub. Yeah, so my like, friend. Yeah, my friends who grew up. Yeah, in the in the East Coast scene, you were very. Yeah, it was heavier. Yeah, but I, I mean, that's impressive. People going on tour. I. You know, when I was in a band, we went on tour. We didn't go north of Chicago or Seattle. It was just, it seemed like it would be hard oh, to do. I mean, yeah, to get paid $500. Like, I don't know, because the distance isn't, it just didn't make sense. And we, like, we didn't have the automobile capability to get through any inclement no. weather. Yeah, <laughs> we no, were exactly. Driving some pretty, yeah. you know, wonky yeah. cars. Yeah, so. no. And like, the, like, we, like, I never saw bad brains because also if you had a criminal record, yeah, you can't you, go over the border. You can't cut over the border, so that means half the punk. All the guys in the Melvins no didn't GGL. have a criminal record. No GG no Allen. GG Allen. <laughs> no. GG or did Allen. he make it? No, he didn't. No, make it no, no, no. No GG Allen. I wasn't very aware of GG Allen. I like, wasn't at that time. I wasn't know. until later too. You weren't. Yeah, I don't. I didn't that? know GG Allen until. We our band recorded at Steve Albini's studio. Okay, yeah. we were watching a bunch of like Decline of the Western Civilization. Yeah. First time I saw that, uh-huh. and then there was stuff about Gigi. There was a video of Gigi Allen. Like he wasn't in that. No, 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 but really, it was. Yeah. We were watching a bunch of stuff from that yeah. era. Yeah, there was a no. Little... There was a lot of stuff I missed out on. Yeah, that I didn't like. No internet. No, it's harder. You just kind of find what finds you. In yeah, a way. like I never listened to The Damned. Yeah. In oh, the like wire, how? I didn't know the wire. No, didn't so know it. like I mean, there's I mean, obviously there's so much music I didn't hear, but stuff that I would have liked, you know? right? But you have your local bands. So we had a band called Beyond Possession mm-hmm. and a band called SNFU. Oh, um, that sounds SNFU good. had some traction. Yeah, and Beyond Possession really should have. They were on, I think both of them, but definitely Beyond Possession had two great songs on Thrasher magazine had skate rock compilations that got out there to a lot of people. yeah they were yeah. Gr- really good i don't know who was doing them but they were really sort of amazing and beyond possession ones on those so it's like you felt like you had this connection mm-hmm. to something but we but i feel really lucky for those bands how good they were you know when you look back and i see photos now i'm like oh they were just kids but they were these really heavy great sort of thrash yeah. metal bands so you're young, you're skateboarding, you're making zine covers, playing some music, and did the skateboarding thing kind of take a major role, you know what I mean? Was that big into your youth? Yeah. It's kind of, I think for a lot of our generation, um, especially a lot of guys were like skateboarding, <laughs> and that's an introduction into sort of visual culture. Yeah. Like I was collecting, like I loved guns. I loved pins. I loved t-shirts. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the stickers. No, I mean, I always say like our first drugs were like the hardest drugs ever mm-hmm. because like, oh, you like this? Here's Vision. Here's Sims. Here's, you know, the Zorlac or, you know, it's like, oh, like, so you like, if you think of, my standard for pen and ink was pushead. Mm-hmm. You know, my standard for graphic design was stuff David Carson was doing or, 
you know, um, Jim Phillips was doing in the world of uh, sort of skate graphics. Mm -hmm. So we get this like gnarly, (laughs) you know, this really great visual culture. And so I think, I don't know, I think it's like that definitely had effect on me. Like I never, I didn't know any, I didn't have, I know any artists like I, but I knew what I liked and I knew it all came from California and I knew that it was like, it was power. It was this powerful stuff. And so I think of like our generation, I definitely see there's some, like, it's sort of like you sort of want to become the oppressor. Right. You want to make similar powerful stuff. Yeah. And I think that that was, so I got from skateboarding so many things I think that if you sort of step back and go like, okay, it's just great visual culture. Like you could have gotten it maybe somewhere else, but there, there are so many other things about skateboarding that are sort of, I think as like for me personally, like becoming, I like fulfilling, becoming a human being, like it, you know, it, it was a great for me socially, Yeah. you know, like it helped to be sort of have like an identity outside, like living in a suburban place where, you know, you didn't really, it was very, it was very much the void, mm-hmm. and it and it had the capability to absolutely fill the void, over brimming. Yeah, and I think that that is a good template for living. You yeah. know that even when you live in, like now, I live in Los Angeles, but I still am, feel sort of self sufficient. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but did, I think yeah. Did that have an effect on bringing you down there eventually? I think Do you so. Think? Yeah. Or did you always know you wanted to move to a slightly warmer <laughs> climate? No, I, I mean I forget who said it. It was. Hemingway or somebody somebody said like you, your kids will always live where you went on holiday oh yeah you know and I think it's like oh that's kind of so I'm very cautious where I take my kids on holiday but um oh that's that's good news I'm looking forward to either going to Hawaii or Japan yeah <laughs> totally it's kind of true yeah they're gonna lean that way because that's Fiji. they have such an incredible fun experience on vacation yes it's like when that's the yeah. way life should always be right yeah you don't have to go 10 times yeah. If you think of your memories, it's like well, it could be one experience, right? You know, like for me, it was like rolling, like being in San Diego, and skating down, like skating in front of, like skating away from our motel we were staying in, mm-hmm. and hearing the sand under my wheels instead of gravel. Yeah, and you know what that, what the air was like, how sort of quiet and how vast the parking lots were. You know, <laughs> you know, it was like. We didn't go to Yosemite, yeah. you know, we went. And so, like, you, I think that, yeah, that, again, powerful experiences. And But, I, you know, I think, and so, and also everything I liked really did come. Like, I didn't, like, as Minor Threat being the exception, like, the music I listened to, like, I was drawn to, you know, Septic Death or yeah. Dead Engines or more than I was <laughs> to the Cro-Mags, you know. You yeah. know, I'm talking about teenage stuff, yeah, yeah. you know. But then also then um, when I learned about CalArts. So I went, I did an undergrad in in Calgary mm-hmm. at the Alberta College of Art and then sort of was ready to like kind of change my path and found out about CalArts. And so, but I think the Californianness of it was a, you know, like I had a scholarship to go to SVA, mm-hmm. but it was just didn't really, I sort of knew. And I was already working. I was making stuff. I was making skateboards and snowboards in California. Yeah. And so I sort of knew. Wait, when you were in undergrad? Yeah. Yeah. How did that start? Um, I well, the very 
basic i mean the big turn like i was making you know i was making stuff and then sponsored by a skate shop and then making stuff for them and then doing clothing lines for them mm -hmm. and then snowboarding was invented so it was i know like, right out of nowhere out of nowhere this is this new thing yeah it's a new thing it's like i don't know what the equivalent would be like if someone really got into like scooters or wakeboarding or something yeah. but yeah it's this new thing and no one knew but it needed to look like something so i a friend of mine like we started snowboarding at the same time but then he went pro you could really go pro quick i mean he was really good oh, yeah i guess the pole's <laughs> a little smaller yeah at that point so i did his graphic like i went from like drawing on his skateboard with felt pens to like would you do my graphic and um yeah and then i then the company like called me and said, would you do all our graphics? Mm -hmm. So the next year I did all the graphics for them and they didn't know who and I was And at this point, are you, are you, not to make you sound slightly older, I mean, are you doing everything on a computer? Or are you? These were the first, I was told these were the first graphics ever done on a computer. Really? For a snowboard, yeah. That's pretty cool, what were you using? Yeah. I, would, I was using a 2CI, <laughs> <laughs> not to date myself. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a good. Strangely, that computer would work pretty well now. Mm -hmm. Adobe Illustrator, Photoshop. It was, you know, it was just now. I mean, the yeah. sad thing is computers haven't gotten that much better. Right. You know, so this is like 92, 91. And I sent the file. I would, if I would, so I was working in Illustrator, which I. They had the Illustrator, Illustrator in 92? Yes. Wow. Yeah. They had it. Yeah, they had it in. Yeah, it was before that. that. Yeah, it was, it was like the first version, Adobe right. Illustrator 1. Um, uh, and Quark Express mm -hmm. and, uh, Quark. and Photoshop. And soon to be followed by Netscape. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this is pre-Netscape. Pre-Netscape. But I, would, I, that, I mean, the only interesting story of that is that when I was doing this, the, one of the first snowboards, it had so many points. So it was like drawn, like little points. Yeah. I, would traced, I traced a drawing using Illustrator because I was like, how else am I going to print this? I need to do it digitally. Yeah. And so... But then I would work in wireframe and then go to preview to see what the colors looked like. Mm -hmm. And it would take so long to go to preview. I would go out, get dinner, <laughs> and come back. And you know when you have something in front of something? Like it's like the circles in front of the square. Yeah. But you can't tell in wireframe. And then I'd come back and I'd do the preview and be like, oh, it's one. Oh, you'd have to. It's one in front of the ten things. Mm -hmm. So I'd be like, send it back one. So I'd see the preview. It would take 45 minutes. And then I'd go back to wireframe, send it back one, and then keep working blindly. Oh, man. Yeah. That's like uh, now if you're doing a really high definition, like, render. Yes. Like, when I render out video, sometimes I'll do it overnight. It'd be like, yeah, if you were doing a high-resolution render over the internet and your, your file was in across the country. And you can't, there's no low-res version of it. Like, no. you can't yeah, just exactly. do a quick no. low-res peekaboo to yeah. see what it looks like, see what yeah. you have to change it yeah. in. Yeah, that's a whole different pace, right? Yeah, it was very, very slow. But that's exciting. The first, yeah, and it crashed. This came about because, like, I thought this was normal, but it completely crashed because they output to film, mm -hmm. and it completely crashed their whole, the snowboard companies like to output the film. Oh, really? Yeah, it crashed it and kept crashing it, and so they eventually had to do it in pieces. And if you look at the artwork now, you can see where it overlays. Oh yeah, where they had to line it up. Where they had to line it up, and there's little jogs in the art because they couldn't do it in a single piece. You know, not to make us sound like <laughs> like uh, we went through a lot, but <laughs> it's amazing some of the things that we used to have to do to hurdle around that now it's click of the button. 
Yeah. You know? But then also everything's just the same. It's it doesn't matter. complicated. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's like... It's different. Yeah, it's just different. The same amount of stuff gets made, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, the same... Yeah. It, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, It totally. isn't really... I still work in these same programs. Yes, I can do more, but it doesn't... The process, it's not like... Um, the root of it is still based on like... It's like you you're still end up with your fingers. Right. You know, like yeah. we're still like when we like a snowboard's like head high they're still head high yeah you know and yeah. the, the process of getting there is like there's maybe a different route but everything's still we keep everything human yeah and flawed and as you know a blink of an eye a right. you know those are our standards like yeah. it's head high blink of an eye it's still the same yeah you know? yeah i think it's just mutates but we're still yeah. doing the same thing yeah over and over yeah <laughs> unfortunately yeah. So Cal Arts was good? Yeah, it was great. And yeah. what were you in a specific department? Yeah, design? so I was in the design department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I went to do, yeah. Good. I mean, at this point, I was sort of, I was work. I was working outside. Like, I didn't, I, I wasn't really, I didn't know how to do design. Mm-hmm. I knew, and the only thing that, that I thought I could do to have a job was what they, you know, you could, so that when I had, when I, had the scholarship to go to SVA. It was to go into their, it was a, a single year grad program. It wasn't even a grad program. It, in design? Or in illustration. Illustration. Mm-hmm. So I had these, and then CalArts was this design program which I had seen in iMagazine. Mm-hmm. So I'd come to New York and I'd seen iMagazine, which was, um, you know, it still is this sort of like really um, thoughtful um publication on design mm-hmm. and so they did a whole article on Cranbrook and the work that was being done there and it just spoke to me because it was okay people here are using design as self-expression because I saw like okay I'm already making I'm already doing all this stuff I was making all this work and I knew like if I'm doing this now I'm not I'm not gonna want to doing that I'm not gonna want to do it in 10 years mm-hmm. I'm definitely gonna be tired of it so I wanted to explore the unknown yeah and that was design. Like, I didn't really know anything about design. So I went to CalArts and just immersed myself in, like, typography and design. Yeah. But there, but really what I learned there was a conceptual process. And it was, like, working, using a, a conceptual process and a sort of criticality in making work that is, like, totally, like, applicable to what I do today. Yeah. So I was sort of taking, like, I had this very rudimentary sort of commercial art background in my undergrad that was like sort of like an older technology. It was yeah. like from a time, like bygone era type right. skills. And then went to CalArts and sort of learned to sort of learn to think um, not what like, I was making. Not on like a parallel of learning traditional drawing or painting, mm-hmm. like oil painting and then going to CalArts for... You know conceptual art or something Absol- you know yeah that's absolutely it's, that's what I, it was I think like it's yeah when you're learning a lot of the things you learn take the vessel of some sort of whether it's oil painting or you know figure drawing whatever it is there's a vessel but it's kind of the ideas and breaking out of things and trying yes. to push yourself in different yeah. directions you know it's yeah. kind of like your everything's put into like a little capsicle, capsule to take the medicine and you kind of yeah. like learn things through it yeah. whether it's you know design whether it's painting mm-hmm. whether it's sculpture or whatever yes a lot of it, it's funny because I feel like a lot of the things I learned 
in ceramics or in sculpture class were just as informative as, you know, painting class for me. Yeah. And, yeah. and sometimes you, you get to it quicker because it's not in the language that you're most comfortable in. Mm-hmm. So you kind of learn the hard things faster. You know? Yeah. Like sculpture for me, it wasn't my forte, you know. Yeah. In, in ceramics, I wasn't, I love ceramics, but I wasn't gifted at it. Like I couldn't just, I didn't take to it too mm-hmm. quickly. But uh, I learned a lot of things about control and balance and all that stuff. That right. Think, you know, still are in there. Yeah. And the stakes of ceramics, I think. Yeah. would apply to your work yeah like oh i screwed that up you right. know or that you know i did that right and then fired it and you know that would be those sort of process oriented you know, yeah yeah like no, you absolutely. map something out and it's really complicated you mask it or something and you peel it off and you're like it either works or it doesn't yeah you know? it didn't work <laughs> yeah that's what's amazing about ceramics it's like you spend all this time on this thing you glaze it and then you stick it in an oven you have I mean, you you kind of know what's going to happen, but there's an element of I have yes. no idea yes. if it's coming out. Yeah, I relate so much to that. Yeah, I think all artists would relate to that moment. And you either have like many of those moments or like, I think in ceramics, it's sort of like you do all this and then there's the one. Yeah. As a painter, you're sort of like, do it, do it, do it, do it. There's constant, like you're constantly firing things, right. you know, but it's still that same feeling yeah. of success. And it's, yeah, that's what's, I mean, I think that's interesting, you know. Yeah, and when it pays off, it's like, you know, opening a gift or something. Like yeah, exactly. Like, oh, that ah, that really feels good. Yeah, when it doesn't, you're like, oh, now yeah. I can't go home. Yeah, got to start it all over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you do that with your paintings? Do you kind of, sometimes they just don't work? You just oh, start my a new gosh, one? yeah. Well, when, if you only have like 12 colors in a painting, if one of them's wrong, it's a really bad. It shows, yeah. It shows, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, but then there's also... You know, the flip side of that is if you can get that color that's wrong right, the whole painting then goes like, yeah. You know, it's it it's it comes together. God, so both be a, things happen. There's a metaphor in there for something. It's like if you have an orchestra, if one person kind of fudges something, you don't really notice. Yeah, exactly. And if it's a trio, that means maybe we should just travel with an orchestra at all times. Yeah, orchestra all the time. <laughs> yeah. No. Just yeah, because a trio. Yeah. Yeah, it's like one person in the trio. Yeah, there's probably like a. There's someone who was would like would be like a, a someone who does like statistics or economics or something, yeah. you know. That, right. You know, you'd be like, oh, that's called the whatever concept. Yeah. You know, <laughs> diversify. Right. You know, diversify. Yeah. Take diversifies the your problems. Yeah. yeah. Remove the spotlight from yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but I think in art you can go like, okay, so I have one person that's like way off, out of tune, or like like terrible. Mm-hmm. You can just be like, okay, everybody in my orchestra is terrible. And that works too, you know, yeah, or get, you know, get that person like to be like, okay, you just are going to play one note that you're good at and then everyone else will play all the rest of them. Right. So it's like sort of this infinite, like in an orchestra, we have this idea of what is good. Like, oh, that's a good orchestra. Mm-hmm. That's a bad one. You yeah. know? And I think what's great in painting, like when I'm painting, I'm like, I don't even know exactly what's good. You know, like I can, you know, there was so much. Yeah, it rewards you. That's a good point. For there to be chance. Yeah. Yeah, you're not in, or at least I'm not in control. No. You know, on all those little parts, Mm -hmm. all the little notes that are going on. Yeah. Sometimes you just throw them out there and hope it becomes a nice composition. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I always find like there was like a series of paintings I did where like it all came out of like I was almost done with a painting and then I... I use this masking material. Mm-hmm. It's like a frisket, but it's yeah. like a commercial masking material and it's blue. 
and I put the, the masking material over this painting and it tinted the entire, oh. it changed all the colors, right? And I was like... The pigment of it just kind of rubbed off? On no, it didn't rub. This is just, to, so basically you're basically seeing, the, oh, sorry, you're seeing the whole painting through a, a blue wash. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. And I looked at it and I'm like, that looks sick. Right. And I realized, oh, that, and so I saw that as, oh, I'm going to look at this entire show through tinted windows. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when you're in the car. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, for some reason, I'm not relating it to sunglasses because I think it's a little different. But in tinted windows, like sometimes in Los Angeles, it's so bright. Mm-hmm. It's just better. Yeah. It's more reasonable. Right. And I sort of tinted all the windows on the series of paintings from that point on. I repainted that painting. Mm-hmm. And so that's the sort of thing that happens in painting that's like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so it's like I'm actually completely wrong. Right. You know, yeah. it was like the most and it was a type of color that I could only come to through this process. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you have to keep doing all these processes yeah. and then you'll end up. But it's not like expected. It's not like um, what you would. Yeah, it's like it's a surprise because it's a surprise. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You kind of and some things you can only learn through process yes. in a way or accidents mm-hmm. it's but it's true. yeah but i think it's i like that i mean i've created a system for myself of working mm-hmm. that rewards i like that the system rewards itself right you know yeah yeah you definitely. know i see those things so so you're graduating from cal arts at this point are you painting painting a lot or are you just no i'm drawing i actually when i went to cal arts i went to it's a two-year program and while i was there i told myself i would not draw so like wow. my whole thing is drawing. I was like, I'm gonna go there and I'm not drawing. Um, a two year bender. Two year bender, <laughs> like just failing, mm-hmm. fail, 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 fail. But like participating in critique and, you know, like learning theory and just exposing myself to like a whole different sort of way of thinking. Yeah. And um, and then immediately, and you know, I was drawing. I had sketchbooks. So I was sketching and I was doing things in sketchbooks, but it was really not drawing. It was like, can I make stuff with rubber stamps? Can I do printmaking? Can I do um, make very graphic things? Mm -hmm. And I and one of my professors at the time was Ed Fella. And he, you know, was sort of an interesting template in that he was a retired. He says a failed artist in that he was a commercial artist Mm -hmm. that never showed in galleries and but right. he was then spent his time sort of drawing in this very graphic way so I was exposing to that like that version of drawing which is like drawing as graphics mm-hmm. um but immediately when i graduated like i just went straight to like making skateboards <laughs> you know I went, you know it was right. sort of like i i just sort of got spit out the other side and like got on my feet and i needed to make money to buy a computer and mm-hmm. sort of so i was living in a garage had a job bought a computer like so I could quit the job and just started yeah sort of started returned to where I left off and then I was like making skateboards again and sort of reconnecting with doing that sort of work yeah. um but everything had changed you know my thinking had changed and so I started sort of applying that thinking to this new work and that you know and I sort of became I think it it was like how you say like my drawing now is sort of like comes very fluidly and because I'm sort of drawing it's like I like it's like that 
I had I I separated myself from my own my own history of drawing very at very young age and sort of started from scratch mm-hmm. as this sort of like new and that's you know I feel like the drawing now comes directly out of that yeah it feels, time. It feels like from the outside the foundation yeah right there's a lot of artists who you feel like there's a, of course a drawing element to what they're doing whether it's sculpture or performance or anything but yours really feels like the, the visual foundation for yeah. everything you're doing whether that's work on a skateboard a t-shirt a mug or whatever you know yeah and that and so yeah exactly and so like at the time it was like the first i'd started doing tests so i would just take like the like i took you know i took something i wrote out of my sketchbook like a bit of text Mm -hmm. and i took a drawing out of another page and someone came to me for a logo and i said here's your logo (laughs) and it was the text with this drawing Mm -hmm. and then they rejected it and so then I made a T-shirt that's like this T-shirt I did like that I became known for in the '90s that said "I'm rocking on your dime." Mm-hmm. That became a sort of licensed image. Right. But it mm-hmm. was like I did a number of things like that that were taking like operating in this commercial realm in that I was getting asked to do projects, but I was just pulling directly from my own personal work. Yeah. And that was inspired from sort of like Cal Arts thinking of using design like why like can design instead of be in service of some sort of commerce can design be used in the service of expression mm-hmm. or like larger mm-hmm. ideas and then beyond that it's sort of can design for me it was like can also design be drawing yeah and I think it's you know still well, there's historically there's so many examples mm-hmm. were you looking at you know, everything from like archigram to, you know, OMA to there's just so many design architecture, you know, oh, there's yeah. so many examples of sort yeah, of conceptual absolutely. design that is that something you were did you study that at CalArts or was this something that was No, I mean at CalArts it was like a, the time was actually it was like this really terrible in some ways time of design. It was oh, really? like Reagan era like oh, deconstructivist. Yeah. <laughs> like really crazy. It was a crazy era. Yeah. Fonts all over the place. Yeah, crazed fonts. Grunt. It was like design grunge. Yeah. But the ideas behind that, like the thinking, mm-hmm. wasn't ideas, but thinking behind right. that work was interesting. Yeah, so exploding f- the normal yeah, constraints. Yeah, the constraints and sort of being, um, yeah, I think it's like trying to apply like a third thing mm-hmm. to what the work was doing. It was like, oh, this is a magazine. It's like. I mean, it's like, all you can think of is like, it's an interview with Sonic Youth, but then there's a third thing happening, you know. You can't read it. Yeah, (laughs) that you can't read. I'm like, well, that just sounds terrible. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I don't know. So when did you, did, was there a schism when you first started showing paintings? Did you have to deal with that whole, you know, art versus design versus commercial versus fine art stuff? Or did you kind of circumnavigate that in some way well i mean i mean early on so my first shows were um prints mm-hmm. so i was showing prints and which is a graphic it's graphics yeah. yeah and it was you know mike mills was around and showing and i think there's people like for for me it was like oh that's great to have he was sort of a model for me like oh you can have shows and i was sort of being exposed to um there were galleries that were showing this sort of like street art 
skatery art and, and yeah. stuff. So it was like, like a the venue. new image yeah. art sort of stuff. Exactly. I was having shows at New Image mm-hmm. and George's Gallery. So in that world, no. There was no, it didn't, you know, there was no, no one was sort of aware. Of, it had its own kind of. Yeah. It was know. outsider already. So it was like, okay, you're, you're going to, you can't really be outside the outside. So right. it was just, it, that was, that's sort of like, I think that that spirit, that sort of openness was, I could carry with me. Yeah. Um, but, but so, but a huge following too. Yeah. A huge amount yeah, of people. Yeah. You would who sell work. work. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And be- beautiful losers came out of that sort right. of world. And, but, le- and then I came to painting really from doing, from that work, I sort of started doing these larger installations. Mm-hmm. And I would do, I would create rooms and paint all these panels. And they were all done with masking and with house paint. And it was sort of in the spirit of that world. And it's it sort of grew out of printmaking. So it was like printmaking as, instead of prints, it was paintings and the same sort of similar processes. And then... The sort of breakthrough was my first show with Half Gallery. Mm-hmm. It's a personal breakthrough where I did a painting on canvas that was using these sort of this like many many years of sort of skills I developed that were things that basically in my undergrad like commercial art skills that were about like sort of drawing typography mm-hmm. to then the doing the murals and the larger scale installations and using those techniques and the only thing that was different was that it was sort of instead of me driving around and getting materials and hiring assistants and doing these like installations i was like focusing the work on a single canvas in a room and i was just sort of confronted with like making singular like a piece of work yeah which for me which is surprising but for me that was you know it was a challenge yeah well it's it's a whole different energy right yeah totally different energy but it was related directly to the drawings yeah like i had been drawing like through all this i'm drawing and drawing and drawing and yes, it's the root of everything I do, but it's like it was still, it's sort of like drawing was the beginning of a process that then it would be finished in a way. The drawing was a way of way of thinking and a mm-hmm. way of developing things. And the drawing before Instagram, yeah. so much of it wasn't even seen. Mm-hmm. It's just, the, you know, books and books and books and books of tiny sketches, bigger sketches, larger sketches. And so the the paintings were a way of like suddenly there was these all these aspects of my work that could come together in a single piece that I did not have to explain and like mm-hmm. build a room around and you know what I mean or right. animate or it was just like oh it can all be here mm-hmm. you know and I don't have to make 30 of them yeah. for a print or you know it was just and so it was making those drawings visible you know and pre-instagram yeah and the, the it's funny because uh, the process, because I think we share some working methods, I'm sure, between drawing on the computer, drawing, mm-hmm. painting, and, yeah. you know, it's it's all kind of, and printmaking is where I got my start, too, yeah. really, because mm-hmm. in undergraduate school, printmaking was big, and I took a lot of printmaking classes, Yeah, and my work has always had kind of like a printmaking sensibility to it. It's like working in layers or an architectural building up of, you know, planes, just yeah. like a collage. I do a lot of collage, so... To me, that was more of like a formative drawing experience was like collaging things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really just the same thing you're doing in Illustrator, picking out an area and coloring it in or yeah. and building those shapes together up to an image. You know? mm-hmm. But there's such a kind of perception of what paintings are 
and a yeah. perception of what drawings are. And when I do animation, that's a whole different thing too. Yes. But it's really the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I th- yeah, absolutely. Like it's like, well, there's, there's aspects of the process where you're like, you're like constructing things or you're, you know, I think like when you think of working on the computer, so often it's like you're sort of like constructing yeah. or layering or it's like a more of like a building a treehouse type activity. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, there are moments when you might be sort of fluidly like you're sort of drawing, but mostly not. Mostly yeah. it's sort of. And I think early on, like when I remember being very young and realizing I'd rather move things around than invent them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is sort of like the how rewarding it is to like move shapes around and so that was before a computer moving shapes around on a computer that sort of that sort of thinking that sort of creativity i think drew me to design but in reality like i want to draw like that Mm -hmm. i want to draw in a way that it feels like i'm just moving shapes that i'm forming things that it's not about line or it's not about what sort of drawing's about you know, like it's yeah, like, but like, you have such a lyrical line work yeah. and stuff. But it's it's lyrical because I want it to look like, you know, I right, want to disappear. Yeah, you know, it's like when it's lyrical, it's like, it's more like the wind than a, like a guitar solo. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's you know, I, yeah, I totally, yeah, agree. it's like sort of like a formal. It's trying to attain something that it can never be mm-hmm. in some ways. You know, yeah, I think it's like the computer can kind of be all those things. And that's sort of, you know, that's where I, you, that's where I stop using the computer. Yeah. You know, I like it for it's very, like, when it's rough. Right. You know, on the computer. I know. I use simple. the computer to get looser in a lot of the stuff that I yeah. do. Yeah. And then I stop. Which is really funny. Yeah. No, I don't want to finish. Like, I want, if I can't make it on the computer really quickly, yeah. then I don't want to do it. Like, I let, now. Right. So if, and I don't, I don't like things to look worked up. Mm-hmm. Like, in the computer, like, first draft is the sort of best draft I raw find. on the computer yeah more yeah. polished or not polished more composed on a painting yes exactly it's almost like subverting what you're not intentionally but maybe subverting what people's expectations of what that you know of what technology is supposed to do right technology is supposed to be more organized or more detailed or more layered yeah and painting maybe more raw and more primal but yeah kind of subverting that yeah, it's, like, it's sort of the flip of that. Yeah. That the things that happen in a painting, those things can happen without, it's like everything the computer cannot do. Yeah. You know, but then on the computer, you, there's like less sort of fluidity. For me, it's like a, it's, yeah, it's like an unexpected tool. It's a tool that will do things, yeah, it'll do things roughly. Yeah. In a way that I, I'm like my hand, like I'm sort of smooth with my drawings and I know, I know the the difference between my computer line and my drawing line, even though they're very sort of similar. It's interesting. Like for me, animation, I can add this time and space and movement element Mm -hmm. that adds a different energy than painting does. Oh yeah. You know, so it's just totally different in a way, but people will always ask like, Oh, do you, do you draw on the computer first and then make the painting and then make the, like everyone wants you to have this very specific order of the way that you yeah, do yeah. things. And I tell them, no, I'm like juggling it all at the same time. Yeah, and yeah. they feed each other. And yeah, you know, I like that idea that, you know, a print doesn't look too much different than the painting or something on the computer, but, and the working methods are similar, but they're very different 
mediums oh, yeah, you know, at the same yeah. time, but they help feed each other. Yeah. But, and, and you do so many different projects, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously you're feeding off that or you would probably retire by now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I totally feed off it. And I'll do stuff like as simple as if I draw something on the computer, I'll print it out and then trace it, mm-hmm. you know, and then rescan that and trace that again. Or, you know, there's sort of like all those, you sort of append your own, but I, I guess it's like all, I like to have all those things in play. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and doing like in animation, like I started doing animation on the computer and then ended up doing hand-drawn animation. Yeah. And through doing hand-drawn animation, that it actually was a sort of hit the fast forward button on my drawing because doing animation, you have to do so many drawings. Yes. <laughs> you can't be precious. You cannot, you just yeah. do, it's like basically like in a year I did five years worth of drawings yeah. when I was doing all this hand-drawn animation. And then also it was sort of, it sort of puts you out of yourself. And I, and it, and it, and it, it was, um, the materials I was using. So I draw on animation paper mm-hmm. um, and use a process where I'll, you know, which is semi-transparent. So you can see the frame, like it's for doing pencil tests. Mm-hmm. You can see frame by frame. You can see the f- previous frames. And so my drawing became more like the computer in that it's about variation rather than invention. Right. So like do a drawing. I do a drawing like I do it in a sketchbook. I'll do it like in a big book. I'll do a drawing. If that drawing's interesting, I'll sort of put a piece of paper over it and not trace it. I'll blow it up, but it's under there. Mm-hmm. And I, but you can blow it up in your mind. Yeah. And then I put that, and then I can without even a light table actually. I can then put a piece of paper over it and I'll then trace that drawing. And things are happening though. The drawing is not traced. It's changing. Yeah. And things are happening. Other things are happening, you know. And I, you know, and then I'll compose them and change the frame. Like so, it's like you're almost saying changing your page size, right. you know. And it's like I'm becoming like Adobe Illustrator, yeah. like basically. <laughs> like when I look at my line, I'm like, oh, that's like a that's like a perfect curve. Yeah. That's like I can see where the the sort of toggles are mm-hmm. on my drawings. You know, it's like toggle, 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 yeah. toggle, Bend point. It. Yeah. Like there's like a right <laughs> angle, and then toggle, toggle, toggle. You know, and I often draw rectangles around my drawings like i don't let them float on the page i'll be right. like and there's a page you know i put, yeah. i put a there's your artboard yeah it's an artboard <laughs> it's like i need to yeah. do you draw on tablets at all no i have a tablet but i don't i started you know i have like a i have a ipad and pen mm-hmm. and i did some drawings this year that ended up being used in things and it's sort of interesting and then i've always used a like a wacom yeah tablet just because it's very fast. but Yeah, I use that, and just recently I started using the iPad. Yeah. And it's kind of... It's a, great. It's addictive, yeah. Yeah. I there's, mean, I there's like... a real speed to the... Mm-hmm. I don't know, there's, there's just a real speed to it that I yeah. like. I like the... I know what I want my iPad drawings to look like. Yeah. They're really black. Oh, They're really? They're thicker line. Yeah, yeah. They're more... It's back to that, like, I want technology. It's more cumbersome. You know, like everything I did, the first things I did, they look like, um, like more mother well than they do, you know, like these heavy, like I like made my pen tip huge and everything was this very, it's push and yeah, it's very like heavy bleeding. 
I don't know why. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because whenever you you're drawing on paper, there's that the tooth and just the glide. Mm-hmm. It's a texture that you feel. Yeah. yeah. But there's the same exact, totally different, but same exact its own feeling of drawing on a tablet yeah. that push and feel that's real. Yeah. It, it responds in a different yeah. way. And uh, it's, it's really interesting how that, even though it's like a tablet and it's, there's no real tooth per se, but there yeah. is, there's a little rubber tip, you know, yeah, it's an algorithm, but they're putting that in there. Yeah. You know, that sort of response. Yeah. You can yeah. tweak it if you want. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I do that for me in my, in the real world. Like I know a drawing that will look good with pen mm-hmm. and you know I draw a lot with fountain pens and and I know pencil and the sort of speed of those and like how the arcs will change yeah. and how the scale like at this scale this will be like this and mm-hmm. and I think that is all that's sort of like computer pen pencil tablet paint knife tape you know all these things yeah. are sort of in play it's very reduced sort of palette of tools but right Jumbo Sharpie, Jumbo. Maybe you can make some more, more Mother Welly like drawings. Yeah. Well, I do a lot with. I mean, actually, it's a lot when I I work with crink markers. Oh, those, yeah, yeah. And they're great. Yeah. Those are paint markers. Yeah, they're yeah they're like it's actual it's it's ink ink. Yeah. The ones I use, I don't use the paint ones. Use the ink ones. Yeah. The the, they they're basically a substitute. They're like a non toxic substitute for a sharpie, but a little a little bit thicker. Um, and they don't bleed through. Those uh, uh, paint markers, I forget the name of the one that I was using. but the, Posca? No, they're different. They're the ones where you actually load the yeah, paint yeah, and the sponge yeah. tip. Those yeah. are fun. Yeah, those are cool. Is it's it an amazing product. Yeah. Totally. Just acrylic paint, but draw it on. Like yeah. If you want acrylics and you want to draw. Yeah. It's basically how you do it. Yeah. But that was, we never had that in art school. No. You know? Yeah, I don't know. There were, there were the early one I have one is a Flowmaster. Mm-hmm. That was like an early, you could refill like an early felt pen. But yeah, they weren't paint. I don't know how they do. How do they get it not to clog? No idea. But I, I used do. to use a rolling pen. Remember those? Oh, yeah, exactly. Where you load up the t- little yeah. tip. And no, I, that's all the stuff I had to My That's what my paintings came out of those skills. Like you'd use a ruling pen to, to uh, in, a, in a compass mm-hmm. to connect and you had to connect the lines. And yeah. And you had the hardcore training. Yeah, it was hard. It was hardcore. And then the professor would take a pen and draw, like, circle all your mistakes oh, really? on your thing that took, like, a week. On your art? Yeah, that was all oh. done with gouache, you know, working. Oh. But all the, I mean, now it's, like, so funny because now all those skills, like, I sort of am, it's definitely in that territory. It doesn't require that sort of precision or that rudimentary tool, but there's a lot of, it requires the position, the precision, but my tools are better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You have to change. I guess you learn certain skills and you can, you can kind of transmit those to newer technologies. Or yeah, newer tools. exactly. But it's the same spirit. Yeah. But obviously like everything I'm talking about, like we're talking about the computer, but I, you know, so much, I'm very, I love analog. Yeah. You know, like to me, that's the root is that sort of the battle of the analog mm-hmm. and digital within my work. Cause so much, it all sort of goes through the computer. Like, it is an essential aspect of what I do. I'm not talking about it too much, but it's like, even though it's a brief moment, like, nearly every piece of work in this show, you know, it's be like, I'll create, like, a color key, or I will create, like, shapes mm-hmm. that'll be generated, that'll draw on the computer. 
Um, what kind of, uh, speaking of the computer, I pictured the computer in the studio. What are you listening to when you're making this work? Um, I mean, it varies. I mean, I think it's like, a, it's totally annoying. <laughs> <laughs> What's annoying? Well, because it's like, a, you know, I think it's like, this, you know, you totally are I'm a sort of omnivorous with music. But oh, yeah. Yeah. Listening. I mean, I've lately been listening to, I mean, during this show, I guess I was listening to a lot of Keith Jarrett mm -hmm. or like ECM sort of era jazz near the end of it. But it was coming through a long phase of listening to really a lot of electronic music mm -hmm. and like very sort of ambient, sort of like noisy, like electronic music. Yeah. Um, that is sort of, I mean, but, it, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty vast. Yeah, it's funny. I, because you went through, did you go through the phase of like the early abstract kind of microstoria? Oval, yeah, all yes, yeah, like that stuff. That, that was the, yeah, Kira. What's the Japanese guy? Yeah, but like, yeah, exactly. Nobukazu um, Takamoto? Maybe. That guy? <laughs> I don't know. Do you know he was on Thrill Jockey? <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. He was one of the first shows that I saw a guy on a laptop. Yeah. And it freaked me. I was like, what You're is. Like, uh, yeah, I was like, what? Nope. Yeah, and no cannot. projection back yeah. then. Like, it was just him on a laptop. Yeah. I was like, well, this is. What is happening right I now? I know. And now it's totally, this is so viable. And of course. Yeah. Yeah. But back then it was weird. Yeah. I but like, I wait. love that. I mean, when I heard Pole. Oh, yeah. You know, that yeah. it was like, wow. And I just re-listened to those records and it's like, oh. They're so dubby, aren't they? Yeah, they're much dubbier. They feel more of like London or something. Yeah. But they, but the one, it's all the little clicks and stuff. Right. It's like, man, I love that. Yeah, I go back to those a lot of times when I'm making work, I, I'll go yeah. back to some of that stuff, like Boards of Canada or... Uh, yeah, yeah. You know. But I think it, I think definitely in the age of streaming, mm -hmm. I have the ability to sort of explore that music in a way that I didn't really... I was never... Um, you know, I think it, I was exposed to like Detroit techno. Yeah. But I didn't know how to consume it properly. Right. You know, I'd always ask my friend, like, can you make me a mix? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's sort of loving that music but then hating so many it's like techno as a thing is like it really helps to be able to stream if you only like 10% of something yeah you know and I think that's like electronic music it's sort of yeah it's such a broad landscape yeah it's amazing like I, lately through Spotify and other means you know I'll find genres like side genres that I didn't even know existed oh absolutely which I'm like you know it, how did I miss this? Because, you know, <laughs> I know. I, in college I was a DJ. I mean, oh, okay. I was a jazz yeah, DJ, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I was next to new music guys, and there would always be stuff coming in. So yeah. it really helps keep you in the loop back then, like yeah. all the new releases. And, and you know, I looked, I was like, when, where is this from? And, oh, this is when I was in college. How did I not know of this whole <laughs> entire genre of music? Yeah, exactly. But it's just, it can, you know, sneak by, I guess. I mean, everything sneaks by. I mean, I... And I, don't, I mean, I sort of like that. For mm -hmm. me, music is like, I like that I don't need to know anything about it. You know, it feels yeah. like, it's like, ah, oh, I love just being pure audience. Like yeah. I make a lot of stuff and I sort of participate in a lot of ways, but in music, it's like, you know, I like to be like the, like to be naive. Yeah. And there's so much to explore and the yeah. stories are sort of great and, you know. It's amazing. Like, yeah. oh, I didn't even know there was this music from Mozambique. 
And oh my God. Yeah. When you get into that, all these, yeah. you know, people, I don't know, not bands, just like recordings, yeah. field recordings of stuff. Yeah. That's amazing. It's well, now once all. you get into that, then you're like, you know, honey, I'm going to have to stop working because <laughs> I'm only listening to music right. from Africa for the next year. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. And it's so cool. It's like my son is playing African percussion in school now too. So that's like introducing me to other stuff that I didn't even know about, you know. Like it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Like how wide of a scope that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, that's cool. So I I, I think so you're not so much a podcast T V guy in the studio, you're more of a music. Yeah, definitely. I can't listen to podcasts. I can't I work. I can't in the TV. studio. I love the artists that you interview who listen watch half the T V in the stu- in the studio. Yeah. It's great. I used to, I went through a phase of, of Yankee games and on during Oh, that working. sounds great. Because the pace of it. You know? Yeah. But then at a certain point, it was just like music. Yeah, nothing, I, I don't like sport, like team sports or whatever, but I can understand that. Yeah. I, like on the plane, I draw on the plane and I'll play a movie mm-hmm. and it's in my headphones and I'll draw on the plane. I was like, oh, this is this is kind of nice. Yeah. Like Home Alone and you're drawing. Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> I couldn't like the movie too much, but. Yeah, I'm, Home Alone was great, but yeah, because if you're super engaged, you won't pay attention. To what yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's hard. But it, you know, I love to read, but I think I would read a lot more if I weren't a visual person because so much of my time that I would be reading is making things, and I oh, can't. And yeah. I can't really do books on tape. No, I can't do books I on tape. I no. can't do it. Yeah, I mean, I read a lot, but like, yeah, I read at home. I read at home. I don't work at home, mm-hmm. so. I think that helps. It's like sort of reading time. How far is your studio? Um, Do you bike it's it? close. Yeah, I bike it. I, less so now I have to do this routine with my daughter. She goes to the bus. So, mm-hmm. But usually that was my normal routine. It was like a bike ride. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's pretty close. And um, is it, do you have a large studio? In um, LA, you just imagine everything's a little bit bigger. Well, in LA. Yeah. For LA, I mean, for New York, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have like a parking lot. You right. know, and two-story studio. And nice. Yeah, it's pretty nice. So LA, you can spread more out. space, yeah. And I sort of split my studio up into sort of zones. And, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I use it, but, yeah, it's pretty. I've never had a big studio. I've never been able to do it. Yeah. And I... And how would you? Oh, uh, I did a residency once in Long Island. Mm-hmm. The Islip residency. And I had this enormous studio for, like, I think like two months or something. Yeah. And I worked in one corner. Yeah. <laughs> the rest was a gallery where I'd just hang a few things. And then all my stuff was over in one corner. Look at little scraps. Yeah. You made tiny, 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 tiny. <laughs> I had the experience like that when I first got a studio, mm-hmm. my, like once again, like the reinforcing of things. And I had a studio, it was a storefront just up the street from my studio is now. And I shared it with another guy and, and immediately my thinking changed. Once I got out of like working next to my bed in one room. For good or for bad or just for good. Yeah. I was like, oh, my ideas just got as big as thy ceilings are tall. Right. And so I sort of like I I sort of took that. And so I've ended up in a much bigger studio than maybe I need. But it it really serves to I'm not exactly sure what purpose it is, Mm -hmm. but it it definitely sort of helps in my process. But that's not to say, you know, I don't know. You know, yeah, I don't know. I, so it's, I, it's, I think it's similar to like playing the TV or music. Like, yeah, you know. 
I, I think constraints for me are good. Yeah. You know, having yeah. like limitations for some reason, mm-hmm. I thrive on that. Yeah. But now I'm nomadic a lot too because I teach in Pennsylvania, so I work there. Yeah. I work in my house. I work in my studio. I'm kind of like all over the place. Yeah. And just doing the podcast and being around in different places, I feel much more comfortable being mobile. Yeah. Know, where I used to just have... I used to just live where my studio was in Brooklyn for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And then, then I had my son, and I had to. I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. Right. Yeah. Baby's and gonna be eating paint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll never be able to work. You yeah, know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, for a long time I just lived where I worked, and you know, commute was good. You know, you wake up and you just go to work. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, sometimes I think it's nice to separate. Yeah, I've always out. felt like separating it, and I sort of like that, like to have a separate space. That's like sort of you can be. That's like you're sort of. I mean, for me, it's like just my own space. Headspace. Yeah, it's like a headspace, and you sort of everything naturally shuts off. Right. You know. But I think that third place of working is also really important. Like so much important work I've done. Like that's why I draw in planes. Mm -hmm. I draw when we travel. I draw, you know, in the van. You know, I sort of like. I think it's like that's really important to me because as much as I'm like say like oh I like having a studio with like a lot of space to think you know it's it's more it's like sort of like the time outside of the studio mm-hmm. is really equally important yeah like it's sort of like that's not enough you know it's this sort of third place the third place is sort of the essential ingredient you know those are the ingredients actually yeah. you know? well it seems like your work is about taking in what you're seeing it's yeah, yeah, I mean, some people's work can be hermetic and kind of yeah. about one idea of, you know, I don't know, all black paintings. Yeah. <laughs> it's about darkness, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. But yours really seems to be about looking. Yeah. Seeing. Yeah. The act of seeing and then yeah. recognizing changes or yeah. mutations and like seeing things. Yeah. And it's, it's very open window. It's like the window is open. Mm-hmm. The door is open. You know, things are coming in, in, in my work for sure. And it's a good thing you live in L.A. and not Alberta. Yeah, exactly. He's got, you can keep that door closed. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to have the breeze coming through. No, you got to seal it. So you're pretty much fully acclimated to Los Angeles weather at this yeah, point. Yeah, pretty much. I still like the cold, but you can travel for the cold. Yeah, you can get a little bit of it. Yeah. I mean, this winter was brutal, mm-hmm. and everyone here was really sick all the time. Like yeah. we got really hit with like flu stuff. And Same as LA. Bad huh? weather, and, yeah. I, and this was the first winter where I thought. No, I, I kind of understand why people retire to Florida, mm-hmm. you know, or Arizona <laughs> or somewhere where you don't have to deal with like yeah, shoveling and just give up. Do people get sick in Arizona? Do you get the it's flu? Like so wicked sunburned. Yeah. But do you get the flu? I know the flu in Arizona. Isn't it just burnt off by all the heat? I don't know if it can live. I don't think. I mean, it's no like, one a gets mo- the flu the flu's like all, it's like a, it's like a moist bug. Right. It feels like. Yeah. Cold and moisture. Yeah. It can't handle the sun. I'm excited to uh, retire to Hawaii when my son. <laughs> so humid there. Yeah, I love it though. I get malaria. Well, you go. You go to Hawaii. Right? No, I never go to Hawaii. Never. I would love to. Have you been? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I don't go regularly. Yeah, people do. I love it. That's an LA spring break. That's like when and if you live in LA, your kids are like, "Why don't we ever go to Hawaii?" We say that about like the Dominican. We're like, yeah. "Why don't we go down to the Dominican?" It's like right there. It's yeah. affordable and yeah. You're like a couple hours on a plane and you're mm-hmm. in a beautiful, and we just never end up getting. Yeah. I always take my kids to the mountains. They're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, can we just go to Hawaii? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Which well, is if reasonable. you live by the beach, the mountains seems like the perfect, yeah, you know, Canadian, the yeah. other place to go yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just going to go to a different beach? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, why don't you um, mention the show, the location, like how long it's up? Do you know all this information? <laughs> half gallery? Do I have to? Can I have my people mention that? Yeah. Right. It's at half gallery. We'll, we'll just insert that. Yeah. It's on the Upper West Side, right? East Side, but <laughs> very close. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's up. Right. It's, it's north of Midtown. I tell you, this is the type of thing I'm terrible at. <laughs> Madison Avenue. Yes, it's by Madison, Madison Avenue. 77. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's right by the Gagosian Complex. There you go. And it, it's, how long is the show up? <laughs> I'll insert that information in the intro. <laughs> it just oh, it just opened. It yeah. just opened, so it'll be up for a while. But when does this air? Months um, from now. Or do you air it right away? Yeah, it'll be up next weekend. Oh, okay, roughly. It'll still be up then. Yeah. Well, I want to spread the word so people can. <laughs> yes, come I see appreciate it. it. And it's a great space. It's you know, if people haven't been to Half Gallery, it's this yes. sort of townhousey like dual really floor. It's cool. It's a it's a cool place to see the work and. Yeah, so thanks for it. Was great to catch up. I'm while glad to finally be on. I'm a fan. Yeah, and one of these days I'll make it out to LA. And maybe we could grab a coffee. Oh, yeah. We could have coffees. Gotta get out there. It's been a while. Yeah. I need it's that like we- Hawaii. I need that weather. <laughs> <laughs> the escape. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much. Man. Thank you. Thanks. As mentioned, Jeff's show at Half Gallery, 43 East 78th Street in New York on the Upper East Side, is open from March 9th to April 4th. Gallery hours are Tuesday through Friday from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m., so go check it out. Sound and Vision was conceived, produced, recorded, edited, mastered, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find images that I take from the podcast sessions by going to the images page on the website soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find even more images on the podcast Instagram feed at soundandvisionpodcast. If you love hearing these artists speak about their life and work, please support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. It's also available on Stitcher and Google Play. You can even donate to help support the podcast by clicking the donate button on the webpage. The introduction and accompanying music was generously provided by Michael Lovett. Michael records as Nazca Lines and also Moonlights in the band Metronomy. The bio and outro music were provided by Sean Seymour. Sean and his wife Yoshimi are a band called Lullatone based in Nagoya, Japan. Thanks to them and also Jacob Tutu and Logan Takahashi who have also lent music to the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners who share and support the podcast. All this is done by myself without funding and ads and it really is you all who help spread the word and you spread it well. Many thanks to all of you and all the artists for sharing their stories and time with me. 